everyone, and welcome back to another episode of N-Express Nintendo Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of GoombaStomp.com. We are apparently on episode 240, 240 uh, of N-Express Nintendo Podcast. So congrats to us, and thank you all for listening. So I'm your host, Cameron Daxon. Joining us, we have uh, games editor Mark Kalaroff. Hello. Hello, that's hello. All I got today. And that's, yeah, that, yeah, I was I was waiting for the waiting for the uh the other half, but that's okay. And also of course we have indie games editor Campbell Gill. Hello there. I have an extra word than Mark. It's twice as good. Double the words, <laughs> double the skill. I have no idea. Uh so okay, so video games. They're in the news. They're apparently expensive. A copy was it a sealed copy of The Legend of Zelda for the NES? That it was, yes. yeah. Graded sealed, too. Okay, see a sealed graded. I think it was a, a high grade, like a like a what ninety eight out of hundred or something like that. A yeah, high grade, like a high grade copy of the Legend of Zelda for the NES was sold at auction this past week for eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars, a tremendous amount of money. However, that's not the end of this odd turn of events because just days later. Just days later, Super Mario 64, a similarly graded, similar mint condition cartridge, you know, unopened, all that stuff, over a million dollars. What is happening in the world of retro games? Who's jacking up these prices? What's this all about? What are what are your thoughts, boys? It's capitalism, baby. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> But to what end? It's like it, it's not like oh, if we if you know, it's not like ah, if if we jack up the prices of these games, then this other competing thing will also jack up their price, and therefore we'll all make money. It's like no, it's an auction. You know what I mean? So it's not like two rival companies trying to get the edge over each other. It's like people who have this money to spend feel marketing. You the said it earlier. Each other. <laughs> yeah, as I'm saying, I guess so. I, or, or, who even knows? Uh, I don't have the information in front of me about like who bought these. Do, do, do we know like was it a private collector? Do we know what's going on with this? No, it's just yeah, it's just private collector. But I mean, it could have been like you know saying that it sold for one point five million is total BS. Since you know it, you could have bought it from a friend just to jack up all the prices, which has been going on recently with retro games. Because right now, right yeah. now the 3ds is like under fire. All those games are yeah. just going up price in like ridiculous amounts. But now. It's clearly the N64 is being targeted, and it's just like all retro games in general, and it's really bad. Yeah, I, I think it's super odd. It, it's such an odd. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like you go to a used record store, you can buy a used record for a dollar. You know what I mean? Maybe not a great a great condition record, but you can buy like a nice vintage album for pretty cheap. Even like a good one, you can get Pink Flo- you can get Pink Floyd's The Wall for less than $20, you know, like a, like a, and I'm talking, I'm talking in LA, I'm talking like LA prices, you know, same thing with like valuable movies, Criterion Collection movies, like stuff like that's not very expensive. And yet for some reason or other, people have decided like, you know what, we're going to make cost more artificially retro video games. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's, it's uh, really smart. I mean, is yeah. it in what way? Well, because people are getting nostalgic for, like, right now, you know, people of Campbell and I's age, we're getting super nostalgic for, like, GameCube and DS and all that stuff. So right. you see, like, Pokemon HeartGold SoulSilver, perfect example. It's currently going for more than 300 bucks. The cartridge alone for Platinum, Black 2, White 2, SoulSilver, HeartGold, they're all going for over 100 each. And even, like, the most, I don't even... You know, I don't want to put common ones, but the most common Pokemon games like Diamond and Pearl, they're still going for double their original retail price right now. Like people just want to, you know, go back into their childhood and it's people are taking advantage of it. That's all it is. I guess, but I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that, Mark, because if they wanted to go back to their childhood, they would buy. I don't know. Okay, what am I trying to say here? I think I think you might be right, and to some degree, because for the for that era of games, you can only get them on the DS cartridge, mm-hmm. or on the Game Boy Advance cartridge, or whatever it is. So it's like there is kind of a limited supply. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess to some degree you're right. I'm I'm just working through this myself right now, but it's like I don't think it's just nostalgia because you can get Super Mario 3D All Stars for you know 40, 50 bucks. Oh, probably like 50, 60 bucks, and they're great. It's not it's not a million and a half dollars for mm-hmm. Super Mario 64. 
Same thing with The Legend of Zelda. You can play that, if you have NES online, you can play that for free right now on your Switch. I don't think it's just nostalgia, you know? Yeah, on the one hand, I understand the logic behind this, because this was sold by an auction house that sells these antique paintings and books and artifacts and all these things that are that have their value derived by the physical object, right? Because it's old, right. because it's part of history. But games fundamentally aren't like that. It's not the object that gives the game a value. It's not the physical disc or cartridge. It's the game that you play with it. I don't think that you derive much of a benefit to playing Zelda on the NES as opposed to playing it on NES Online on the Switch. So it's so strange to see, on the one hand, I can understand the logic in saying, oh, this is an old cartridge of a famous game, it's part of history, let's charge nearly a million dollars for it, but that's just not the way the value of a game, in my view at least, the way that it works. It doesn't work the same way as other antiques. Yes. Yes. Listen, it's so weird. It's like, obviously, the value derived from an antique is whatever people will pay for it. Like, the, the value is determined by whatever someone pays for it. So it's like, well, I guess now Super Mario 64, a, a well-graded copy, is now worth over a million dollars because that's what somebody paid for it. Like, definitionally, that's what it is. At the same time, it makes zero sense to me. It's like, it feels like this is only being done so that other collectors can sell to similar auction houses and reap the same benefits. It feels like somebody somewhere was like, you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to we're going to make people go crazy for these retro games. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see if if the if the trend continues. I guess that's the ultimate uh, signifier. It literally continued 5 days after the Zelda cartridge was sold with Mario 64. So right. Yeah, I I assume that it's going to keep going at this pace. Like I wonder what the next game is going to be. Final Fantasy 7 maybe on the PS1. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I I I wish I knew. I wish I was I wish I was in on the game. You know what I mean? Cuz that's the thing. Is it does feel <laughs> it doesn't feel like I don't know how to describe it. Like the whole thing just kind of irks me to be honest cuz it's not like The whole thing's rigged. It's it's no, literally just saying. resellers it feel, trying to, it, you know, make yeah. as much profit as possible. And they're that's doing it with all it. games. Yes. Yes. So I don't know. It doesn't feel like collecting at that point. It just feels like I don't know. It's it's insane to me. It's it's truly baffling. I don't love it. I also wish that I had a, a sealed copy of Ocarina of Time lying around so I could get in on this, but I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> so, so I'm going to miss out on this one, I feel like. The moral of the story yeah. is to never open any of your games, apparently. <laughs> right, well, that's and that's the thing that weirds me out about it, is that it's like... I don't know. It's like... These games are meant to be played, yes, obviously. At the same time, you know, if you're a collector and you want to, and that's the thing that you're into, like, yes, of course you have the right to never open your box and, and you know, keep it in a in pristine condition so, with the hopes of turning it into value later. Like, yes, obviously you have the right to do that. I just don't, I don't know, I feel, I feel like anything from the, I don't even know the point I'm trying to make here. I, I find it strange. That's all. I guess that's it. I guess that's the, the end of my thought is that I think it's weird. <laughs> it is it indeed. Is. But I can only <laughs> imagine how weird it is for people who actually lived through these games being sold in the stores. You know, because for... Yeah, me. For, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not to imply anything about you, you know. Yeah, but uh, for Mark and I, you know, for me at least... A copy of Mario 64 is, in essence, an artifact of itself. It's older than I am, so I sure. can see some value in it from that perspective. Not a million dollars of value, but, you know, I can still see that it's a subjectively viewed. There, There's some value in there. There's some historic merit to it. No, listen, and I'm not saying, like, yes, obviously there is, there is value to it. Just this past week, I, I hopped on eBay and I got a copy of of a card game that no longer exists called Android Netrunner because I was like, I want to play this game, but it's out of print. So I had to, like, scrounge eBay to get a good deal for this thing. But I wasn't paying a million and a half dollars, you know? I wasn't paying... You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that... And, I don't know. uh, Sorry, I'm getting riled up, and I wasn't even trying to. I wasn't trying to come into this podcast heated. And yet, here I am, totally heated. (laughs) Feeling salty. I don't know what it's all about. I guess the thing, it's like, to me, games are meant to be played, they're not meant to be put in a box, is the thing that it comes down to, but, you know, of course, the other side of the coin is, you know, do whatever you want, it's your stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and retro game prices keep going up, I mean, DS games and stuff 
just before the pandemic, like, I always say this to everyone when I'm talking about it, but Mario Party 6, I bought it before the pandemic, boxed and everything, for 30 bucks at a retro yeah. game store. I go back to the same retro game store, like, two weeks ago, and they're selling the same game, boxed, same condition, for $120. Wow. So, I mean, like, what's your what's your take on that? Is, are you, is it kind of like, oh, this is inevitable, or is it like, this is messed up? I think a rise is inevitable, but that much is, like, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we're talking $90 of a difference, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's, not, and that's to say nothing of people who people who live overseas. People like we, we had a couple weeks ago, Eliza uh, from Kirby and Farmer. Yeah, when Australia. we talked about Kirby Air Ride, yeah. Yeah, for, and Australian prices, like, it, apparently even crazier. Or, like, we talk about, uh, Rick talks about how Canadian prices are, are so much higher for all kinds of stuff. It's like... It's hard to believe that the the retro market is is that difficult to to get into. Like it's 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 shocking to me. I mean, it makes sense for some things. Like Mario Party Six is a game you can't just go on Nintendo's eShop and download. Right. You know, like it. that's if you want to play Mario Party Six, you're either pirating it or you're finding a physical copy of Mario Party Six. It's one or right. the other. There is no other option. So if you want to play yeah. it legally, you're kind of screwed. Right. So I guess I guess at the end of the day to uh, to shoot down my original point and to add more credence to Campbell's point it's not about playing the game it's about having the historical artifact so it, it's about having that that first run printing of the legend of zelda or that you know that mint super mario 64 it is it is truly like yes yeah, so this is meant to be a historical artifact and that is where the value is derived from i, I guess i guess that's what it comes down to i don't know I think it's so. Par- it's partly that and partly, Mark, you're, to, to go to Mark's point, it's partly that and it's partly, you know, auctioneers trying to make a buck, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's messed up. It bums me out. Sorry, Campbell, I think I interrupted you. What were you going to say? I'm trying Campbell. to remember, but I can't even. <laughs> I had okay. a good point. Gosh dang it. Oh, well. Oh, no. Wait. No, I don't remember anymore. I was going uh, to say uh, something uh, about piracy, but anyway. <laughs> well, that's the other point is that it's like, because it's not, at that point, it isn't about playing the game because... You know, obviously piracy, a, a sticky issue, but it's. I think we can all agree that it's like if you have a cop, if you have a physical copy of the game and you have no way to play it, like pirating it is like you know, you know, it's fine, <laughs> right? Yeah, since at least you yeah. own it. You know? At least you own it. At least like you yeah. you did at one point spend money on the thing. Like they got their fair share, and it's like well, you know, say you don't have, you know, you no longer have a working Game Boy Color, you no longer have a, a, a DS or whatever it is. It's mm-hmm. like yeah, okay. I also just remembered this. Last week, Cameron, we were actually talking about Metroid Samus Returns, how we both sure, wanted to play yeah. it. And before yeah. the pandemic, people were selling, like, stores were trying to get rid of that game. They were selling yeah. it for 10, 15 bucks. I and know. right now on eBay, it's going for about 60 to 80 used. No, it's terrible. I wish I would have. I wish I could have picked it up at the time. It's just one of those things where, you know, of course, we had no idea that they were going to announce a sequel to to 2d metroid games so you know it's, it's yeah, one of those sure. things yeah. you can never know what's what's going to trend and that's part of the you know i guess that's part of the fun of being a, a reseller of being a collector is that you never know what's going to spark interest like and that's and that's kind of cool to be like oh wow i actually have this high value thing and i can turn it into something like that's kind of exciting and to return to my original point it's capitalism baby i mean it's supply <laughs> and demand the demand has gone through the roof for all these nostalgic games. And I think it's ultimately a mix of both sides of the argument that we've been discussing, both the value of the game itself and the value of it as a piece of history. So that's what you have with with Mario 64, with the original Zelda, and you'll probably see it more and more with even more of these classic games as they get older and harder to find, or as sequels or remakes get announced that drive demand for these with the way the economy works, with the ways that collectors and resellers work, it's inevitable that prices are going to go through the roof and they're going to become harder and harder to find. So it's, it's just, it seems like it's at this point, it's an unfortunate reality that we have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a damn shame, but you know, what can you do other than uh, just keep your head down? And if you do, if you do have some, you know, rare and valuable copies of, of retro games, I suppose hold on to those just because you never know what'll sh- you never know what'll what'll suddenly spike in interest. But that's not you know that's not our main event today. I, unless we have anything else we want to say about these ridiculous auctioneer prices, I think we can probably take a quick break and move on to our next thing. Unless there's anything else we want to say about this. I still never got Mario Party Five. <laughs> <laughs> F in the chat. If you- if you if you have your Mario copies of Mario Party Five, send them to Mark, and he will resell them to 
for a cool hundred grand, and we can kind of go from there. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. Mark has been playing with some monsties, so we're going to get his thoughts about that. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. So, Mark's been playing a little bit of a game called Monster Hunter Stories 2 Wings of Ruin, a new RPG that just came out for the Switch. And I thought it might be interesting to kind of talk about this game in the context of other games of its type. Uh, so, Mark, you've been putting a ton of time into this game. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it what it's all about? I know that I it's have. <laughs> vastly different from other Monster Hunter games. It is. So Monster Hunter Stories 2 Wings of Ruin is a sequel to Monster Hunter Stories, which was on the 3DS. And the Monster Hunter Stories series is not like your typical Monster Hunter games, where you're on like an open world hunt of sorts, and you have to track down the creature and kill it and harvest it and all that. In this game, it's an RPG. And there's a weapons triangle, and you have like a cast of four characters, and you really only control your main character and your ally and their monstie kind of fights on their own but then you sort of have somewhat control over your own monster everyone is really like sentient on their own and the ai is not like stupid or anything like that like they're actually trying to create like a weapons pattern that you have to look for and follow so combat wise game's fantastic but monster hunter stories what's cool about it is stories it's about the legacy of monster hunter and exploring the world of monster hunter which is something they don't really do in the mainline games they sometimes dabble into but not enough to the point where you would like them to which the games you know monster hunter is really cool it's about a bunch of monsters and you have these hunters and i mean how could you not be excited over that yeah so i guess just killing shit i i I love it so let's talk a little bit about like the structure of this game we say we we just kind of throw out like oh it's an rpg but like in what capacity because monster hunter is also an rpg you know the the original monster hunter it's you know it's a role-playing game you're building Mm -hmm. skills you're experiencing combat this game when we when we say like oh it is an rpg i know that you have a specific thing that you're envisioning in your mind like how would you what would you describe this as how would you compare this to okay other RPGs? so i think if we're going to compare it to a nintendo rpg to keep it on topic and if you haven't played the first monster hunter story so i'm not going to talk about that but yeah. i think the most comparable thing is perhaps xenoblade chronicles in a way but imagine oh. if the battles in xenoblade were like turn-based combat instead as soon as you run into a creature imagine if it did the traditional final fantasy swirl in the first seven games and then you went right into battle like imagine if it was exactly like that that's how Mm -hmm. this one is you suddenly made me way more interested in this game just with that simple comparison there that's that's what i'm saying that's that's why i wanted you to to kind of say that yeah so final fantasy 10 actually is like i think the perfect comparison since i think it actually has that structure final fantasy 10 Yes, because I believe they're, the monsters are on the overworld, correct, in that one? In 10, no. They no. are not, no. Yeah. Okay, so imagine if just the enemies were on the overworld and you run into them and go into battle. And it's not like an active time system or anything, it's a straight-up turn-based, Jeff, as long as you want to choose your moves yes. in each turn? Yep. Okay, yeah, that's very 10, then. That's awesome. And at the end of like each battle, it grades you on how well you did. So some monsters you can oh. take out in a single turn, but some may require 10 turns. So, so there so is what... like a system of, like um, I think it's like F to S, and it just grades you on how many turns it took you and the amount of damage you did and stuff like that. So when, when you're, how does that benefit you? Like If you get S ranks, what does that do for you? Oh, you just get more rewards. And it's usually oh, more, like, okay. you know, a typical Monster Hunter stuff, you know? Yeah, experience points too to upgrade your monsters and your protagonist. But it's mostly like the rewards. It's what you want to get for the harvest and, you know, use that to build more armor and new tools and all that stuff. Nice. So, okay. So where this game might differ from other turn-based RPGs is that it does incorporate a lot of the Monster Hunter themes. So it's, so it's not like... 
oh, I got, you know, I, I got 100 gold and, and 50 experience points from this battle. My guy leveled up. He got stronger. Now I can go to the shop and buy a new sword. It's like, no, you're getting monster parts. You're getting skins and fur and claws and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like all that. There is a money system called Zenny, which is the Monster Hunter currency, and you do mm. have to use that to, you know, buy some stuff. But for the most part, it's the rewards you want to focus on, where whether it's, you know, the claws of an animal or perhaps like, you know, the fur, or like what you said, it's any of those parts that you want. Nice. So I know that none of us on this particular episode are like diehard Monster Hunter fans, but I know Mark, out of the three of us, you're you're definitely the one who's played the most of the Monster Hunter series. Yeah. Do you th- do you find the do do you have to do kind of the some of the stuff that you did in a normal Monster Hunter game? Do you have to prep for hunting monsters? Do you have to kind of like keep in mind sharpening your blade and like getting all oh, your traps so- and stuff ready? It's a little bit of yes and a little bit of no. It's literally if Monster Hunter was like an RPG. That's literally the best way to describe it. If Monster Hunter was turn-based combat, because you still have all those weapons that like you can find and pick up and harvest on the open world, and then you could use them in battle, whether it's like... Why... <laughs> Oh no, we broke Mark. No, we just, broke him. Is this Mark with yeah, the blind, What is it called? Mark with a K, he's wait. back. <laughs> the flash yeah. pod there we go the flash pod so there's stuff like items you can find like the flash pod and you'll throw it out a flying creature and they'll go flying down and you can use that to your advantage so there are these aspects of monster hunter that are still here but it's all just you know in a jrpg format now can i ask something on the other side of the coin what if you're like a certain indie games editor who's never played a monster hunter game <laughs> Can you enjoy Monster Hunter Stories too, or is there going Abs- to be like a absolutely. learning curve? Okay. No, absolutely. It's definitely by far the easiest Monster Hunter to get into because it's an mm. RPG and it's a very simple JRPG at that. But it does have like the complexity that you can master. There's the weapons triangle, but there's also upgrading your monsters and figuring out which weapons to use and all that kind of jazz. It goes into all of it, so it's still complex. But with you know a standard skill set, you could probably beat the entire game. What would you say the main thing you're trying to do? Like, obviously, it's called Monster Hunter Stories, so I imagine the plot is, like, a big factor. Yeah, there's a big overarching narrative to it all where you meet characters and hop between areas and you're trying to figure out this whole mystery, which I don't want to talk about because spoilers, but, you know, there's a cast no, of characters yeah, the, 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 and they the, all have the game, their arcs. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah the, the game just came out. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to ask for, like, like super, you know, plot details yeah. or anything like that. So uh, so you're, you're traversing the... The, traversing the world, you're, you're, you have this cast of characters, you're battling enemies. I'm, I, I could be wrong. Am I under the impression that you are, are you also capturing monsters as well? Are you training them? Like, what's the deal here? No. So what no. you're doing, this is a monster collecting game, but what you yeah. do is you invade monster dens occasionally and you steal the eggs of the monsters and then the oh, eggs will hatch okay. into the monsters that you fought. Interesting. Okay, that's so that's completely different than what I thought this game was. Um, yeah, it's not like Pokemon where it's like you tame the beast in the wild. And then, I, I assumed you know, there yours. was some aspect of, of beast taming in the wild. So ra- rather than doing that, you're actually like raising them yourself. Yes. Interesting. Now, okay. If I can jump in with another question. You've called them monsties in this yes. game. They are May monsties. I ask why? Just because why? Because monsties are your friends. <laughs> So I that guess that is adorable. That's, that's I'm pretty sure that's like the canon explanation. Is it because monsties are your besties? Is it something like that? <laughs> yeah, it kind of is because you oh work in goodness. duos. Oh, that's so adorable! And you're going yeah. to throw your besties into gruesome combat and have them die for you? Of course, yeah. Nice. So this really is Pokemon. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. So the only thing it's... I've never experienced, actually, no. Okay, so I know what actually happens. So you can't, like, your monster doesn't die in combat. There's a heart system, and you have three hearts. And if three characters die, but then they immediately get back up, you lose. That's how you get a game over. Huh, okay. So hold on, how do you lose a heart, then? You just have to go down and lose all your health. You lo- if you, okay, but then so you, you immediately get back up. Yeah. I see, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. All right. It's pretty forgiving. But if you don't look after your teammates, then you can be completely screwed over. So it's kind of a it's kind of a constant dance of having your guys attack and deal damage, but also stepping in to defend them when necessary. 
Yes, this is a game where you really have to pay attention to what your teammates are doing because it tells you the exact move they're using and you have to use that to your advantage, whether it's like doubling up on attacks or maybe your teammate's going to heal you so you don't want to heal yourself because you probably know that they are going to heal you if you have the least amount of health, so you need to focus on stuff like that. Interesting. It sounds both easier and more complicated than what I had anticipated. Like, I haven't followed this game at all other than it's been featured in a handful of Nintendo Directs, and mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of all I know about this game. So to, to hear you describe its combat and, and how you actually interact with the systems is like, oh, that is uh, color me intrigued. I'm, I'm kind of right there with Campbell of like, oh, okay, all right. This has, it sounds like it's got some stuff going on. The system of combat's definitely the best part of the game because once we start getting into the other stuff, things get a bit shaky. Oh, in what way? Go ahead. Uh, first of all, the biggest problem with the game, the technical performance is just all over. It's, oh, it's sure. yeah. a disaster. It's absolutely... You know, the first Monster Hunter stories on 3DS had problems, but they haven't really fixed any of the problems from that game here. So now it's like if Monster Hunter Stories was HD with better graphics, except you still have all the frame rate problems and some of like the texture pop in. And the frame yeah, rate can get, it's usually, it can go from the high 10s to the high 40s. It can go anywhere in between. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like sort of an inconsistent frame rate issue. Yeah, it's definitely inconsistent all over. I mean, it's definitely better, in my experience, to look at in handheld mode, but on a TV, it's, like, way more noticeable. Hmm. That is kind of funny, because I, I, like I feel like the conventional wisdom is that when a game is in handheld mode, you're more prone to choppiness and frame rate drops. Mm hmm But that's not, that doesn't seem to be the case here? Yeah, it, I mean, it seems to run the same based on, you know, what I'm looking at. Like, I'm not a technical expert, but based on what I'm seeing, it seems to run the same. Just, I recommend playing this game in handheld mode because on a TV, I can see if you get motion sickness, like, really right. quick. Do you, does, does the style of the game uh, lend itself to handheld mode? Like, one of the reasons I love playing RPGs in general in handheld mode is because oftentimes they're, they're in bite-sized chunks. It's, like, easy to, to pick up your Switch and do a handful of battles or do like a side quest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely, it does cater itself to the handheld mode. I mean, it was originally a handheld game, Monster Hunter Stories, and it still has that kind right. of structure where it's like, you go out on the mission, do your thing, come back, save, do it again, you know? Nice. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. But the other I... negative we got to talk about is the story because the stories are substantial, but they're not great, which is really a shame because this game opens on a very high note. It has a ton of great choreography and all this, these great ideas you just want to see in the Monster Hunter universe. They especially, they start off with this dance and the frame rate kind of ruins it a little, but it's really interesting to see culture in Monster Hunter, if that makes sense. You just mean like the, the way the world is built? Yeah. And just the way, you know, the characters interact with each other and how they're having this festival and it really builds up who they are as like a people. Nice. Yeah, I've I've always I've always think I thought that the uh like people always talk about these games as if oh, all you do is kill monsters, but it's like no no, there's a surprisingly detailed world, you know. So I think that's that's cool that that's that's further explored, you know. But are you saying that you you didn't find it you're not finding it super compelling or am I misinterpreting it? <laughs> um, how do I go into this without spoilers? So the story, my main problem with the story is the protagonist and his Palico partner, whose name is, please help me, not Navi. Uh, not Navi Navi, 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 yeah. I don't know why I keep forgetting it. I keep having for you guys to repeat it, but Navi <laughs> is, um, I wouldn't say he's on the scrappy-doo level of the spectrum, but he certainly edges towards it. There's a lot of oh, cat no. puns, and oh, I yes. think even Campbell, no, I think Campbell, I think you would get annoyed Are you sure by them. about this? Are you sure? Because oh, I'm really yes. feeling it right now, but... Like, imagine if every time you said <laughs> perfect, if you used purr, and every time you used catastrophe, if you used cat. I mean, you already use on cat every and catastrophe single... just with yeah. the way it's called. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, I with see the your emphasis, point. yeah. I mean, imagine if you did like... that for every single sentence you ever said. That sounds like my internal monologue. I don't see any problem with that <laughs> at all. But I can see how for people who might be 
let's say normal that could be annoying it it is it's every other sentence is a pun and at one point it's like all right like come on can we get serious because you have these serious characters and then you have like this goofy childish palico and it's just like a complete contrast from sometimes from what's going on and is there not any like variety in the puns at least or is it just like the same three things over and over no they usually have to do paw cat purr it usually has to do with all those (laughs) oh wow so that could that could be a little grating i could see maybe sometimes claw in between you know that sounds really (laughs) meowful yeah that too thank you thank you I'm just trying to keep the misery going here. <laughs> but the the characters themselves are just, they're really not that engaging. And I think it's really because of the lead. The lead is just the silent protagonist and you have the palico around to just talk for you. And he's basically like the mouthpiece of the main protagonist. I don't even know why they did a customizable character for this game. It's not even like how Navi speaks for Link. It's, it's not even like anything like that. It's like... <sighs> It's just really annoying what they do. Oh, man, that's a yeah. That's always a shame when it when it feels like like you got this great world, you got this great combat system, and then some of this other stuff. It feels like it's detracting from the rest of it. Do you think it's? I don't know. Is it a like? I don't know how you guys play play RPGs or JRPGs, but for me, I, I found out lately that like I need to have a compelling story or I can't do it. I just can't do it like whether it's an rpg or any kind of game really it's like if if there's not something to hold on to narratively even if the gameplay is incredible i can't stick around do you i mean i don't know how how do you how do you enjoy these games i'm a bit critical towards story so Mm -hmm. my gut feeling is that if you really just want a story driven experience you might lose interest pretty fast but i Uh really don't think it's like that bad there are some highlight characters like the first character you meet um kana kana is a cool character so you have kana and then you also have anna and alwyn and they're pretty good characters for the most part i don't think they really get like these huge moments to shine but th- there are characters that are supporting the story it's not all bad news well i guess the, the question is not like I don't know. I guess the question is, do you think you'll still stick through it? You know, me no, but that's a very personal, you know, question sure. that depends on what you tolerate and you know, all that. Yeah, but it sounds like from what you're describing, at the very least, the combat system sounds great. Um, oh yeah, I, combat's I, incredible. Yeah. But what about the like the general just exploration, going through towns and and overworlds, or I don't know how much there is. Yeah, that's all great. That's good too? It's just the okay. fr- the frame rate is really annoying. Hmm. That's the only thing about it. It kind of ruins the frame rate and the characters just kind of ruin the immersion. But like the combat is so solid. It's it, they built upon it so great from the last game, and then the characters all have great designs, and the world itself just. It has all great designs. It's very lush. It's very appealing to look at. It's just, it's like the smaller issues, even though I wouldn't call them small issues because they're pretty noticeable, but they kind of ruin and bring down the experience, which is a shame because I really think this game could be better than the first one, but perhaps it's not. Yeah, I can totally understand where you're coming from as somebody who's played and reviewed my fair share of pretty horrible switch ports so i understand how <laughs> those kind of technical aspects can really drag down an otherwise fantastic game and i hate yeah if you're play... playing this on steam i was gonna say I'm, yeah yeah if you're playing this on microsoft windows steam or whatever then i'm sure this is a flawless experience outside of the uh, story you know not, not to plug a non-nintendo platform on the nintendo podcast but it sounds like it, you might be better served not playing this on switch it sounds like it is nice because of the length to just put in handheld mode and put in you know sleep mode and all that stuff especially since some of these quests can take up to an hour so that is nice but yeah i'd probably recommend this one on pc nice well there you go speaking of jrpgs wherein you collect monsties uh i've been playing a little bit of i'll talk more about this at length another time i just wanted to mention that like i have been playing a little bit of shin megami tensei 3 nocturne Sort of in preparation for the upcoming Shin Megami Tensei Five, which looks great, just to kind of remind myself, like, oh yeah, what's this series about? And um, it's also very good. So so different from what you're describing in terms of 
Monster Hunter Stories 2. Like, this game's more about, uh, uh, Nocturne, I should say, is more about, it's, it almost feels like solving math problems. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm-hmm. if, you've, if you're familiar with the Persona series, if you're familiar with the kind of, or even Pokemon, I should say, like, if you're familiar with that kind of, those kinds of battles, where it's like, all right, I know if I use electric on this guy, it's, I'm going to get extra, I'm going to get an extra turn. Uh, but if I miss an attack, I'm going to lose two turns. It's like, it's kind of like doing that sort of math in your head to to come out victorious in battle. Whereas it feels like stories is a little more dynamic of a battle system. I could be, again, I'm, I'm kind of just going off of what you're telling me, uh, Mark. But it, it feels like there's a little more give and take in a Monster Hunter Stories battle. Yeah, it is. I mean, the combat is super engaging because it's something yeah. you really have to pay attention to with every character and what's going on and how to attack your enemies. And you have to keep the weapons triangle in mind. And then you have to think about, do I use a greatsword, a hammer, a bow, a gun lance? You know, mm-hmm. there's all that to it. So there's so a lot it of definitely complexity. is super in depth. Yeah. And then it's like, what monsters do I use and stuff like that? It's just the rest of the game is, you know, the frame rate, the story, it's just so all over the place. But the combat is so solid. Like, it's mm. perfect. Yeah, yeah, I can totally understand how combat could, for some players at the very least, make up for all the other faults in that kind of experience. Because I'm thinking about how a few years back there was Octopath Traveler came out on Switch. Oh, I sure, adored yeah. that game. But you couldn't deny that there were a lot of issues with it in terms of the story structure, the side quests, lots of fetch quests, lots of repetitive gameplay throughout it. But the combat system was just so fantastic that it made the whole experience so enjoyable all the way through. So it really does sound like a case with Monster Hunter Stories 2, where it's just about what you prioritize as as a role-playing game player. Do you want beautiful stories and worlds to explore and beautiful presentations, or do you just want a satisfying combat system? It sounds like that's the main question you've got to ask here. Yeah, I would say so. And, and it's not like there's any any right or wrong answer, because I'm sure there's just as many people who, who would enjoy, like... The, the the other stuff you're describing the sort of stuff surrounding the combat like the world and the story and all of that like mm-hmm. there's maybe everything except the frame rate i think we can all agree <laughs> yeah, on that it's probably it's probably won't get a, like yeah. that thing won't get that a, thing needs lot, a patch like yeah, if they're going to support of... this game for the next two years they better patch this stuff as best as they can or at least put a capped frame rate like this game is running uncapped and it's all over the place it'll bounce between 10 and 40 and like that do you know if this game, are they going to, have they already said they're going to continue to update it or, or what's going on with that? Yes. So they're continuing to update it with more like online centric stuff, which by the way, this game can be played multiplayer online. Some of the quests with your friends and it's basically like you have you and your monstie and then they have them and their monstie and you can go into battle. And what's cool about the online is that you can go into a battle and your friend doesn't necessarily have to help you. They can like keep exploring the overworld themselves, which is cool. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. So they are so they are incorporating that element from the from other Monster Hunter type yes. games. Yes, yes, yeah. it's a very the multiplayer in it is great. There's nothing really else to say about it. It works if you want to play it with a friend. Please do so. It's a yeah. good experience. But yeah. um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna expand on it with more quests, and I'm sure there'll be maybe more multiplayer modes or stuff like that. They have a roadmap. Awesome. Yeah, it's I've never. To me, okay, so I feel like we do have to talk about that because I didn't know that this game had online multiplayer. I think that's really cool. For a JRPG, that feels really unusual. Yeah, I was thinking the same when I first saw it, and it is, but it feels very natural, so. Oh, interesting, okay. So it doesn't feel like, (laughs) it doesn't feel like this is a paradigm shift for other RPGs. No, and it, it definitely gives you a higher advantage because if you're talking to someone who definitely knows the combat system and what to use on what enemies, you can probably breeze through this game way faster than normal nice 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 um yeah it's i mean i don't know monster hunter stories too it's it's uh it's been anticipated by a lot of people like especially with uh monster hunter rise coming out people i think a lot of people are really looking forward to this you know getting into more monster the, hunter yeah getting into more monster hunter exactly so it's like now now we have kind of t- kind of both sides of the coin you have your you have your really hardcore traditional monster hunter experience with rise with a few modern improvements and then you have the the other side of it which is like 
if you like the aesthetic of Monster Hunter, but you're not necessarily ready to to learn, you know, basically hunt, learn yeah. a new language exactly. Um, you can kind of dive this into is this. A game, yeah, this it's a perfect entrance for going into yeah. the world. I love it. Uh, cool. Well, there are other games like this, other other types of monster games, monster collecting games. Hopefully we'll see more of them on Switch, and hopefully this game continues to get the support that it needs to, to you know, to, to continue to draw people in. Um, any other wrap-up stuff you want to say, Mark? Why don't you give us a little, a little taste of your tips guide? Uh, yes. So for the tips guide, I should say this, that I wrote on the website, which you could check out now. My biggest tips, number one, pay attention in battle. Mm-hmm. It's a no-brainer. Like, read before you act. And I really mean that. You have unlimited time, so take your time. And then the other thing is know the weapons triangle by heart because you are going to need to refer to it for almost every battle. Um, there's six different types of weapons in the game, and two of each are part of three categories. So my advice is equip one of each of the three types of weapons. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you're always covered. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then grind rather than glide, which is pretty self-explanatory because you're going to want to overpower the enemies. And, you know, just go explore the world. Have fun. Don't The main story, it's going to keep putting you towards the path to get from point A to B. Go explore, you know. There's really not much else to say about that. You don't have to completely follow the narrative all the time. I think that's honestly like that's a that's a helpful thing to hear because sometimes the 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 difficulty of getting into a world of, a, of an RPG is like oh boy, there's so much. Like I'll be honest, that's one of the reasons I'm so intimidated by Xenoblade is that it feels like oh my gosh, the story is going to be you know 200 hours. It's going to be so overwhelming. Like I'm going to put it down. I'm going to forget what's going on. I'll have to start it over. But it's like no, this game. If the if the plot is less of a priority, it's like it it frees you up to just enjoy the combat, enjoy the aesthetic, enjoy the world instead of having to like, you know, take notes <laughs> as to what's going on. <laughs> I mean, I should yeah. add, Cameron, the story of Xenoblade One is only only like fifty-ish hours or thereabouts. Oh, a, a mere a mere fifty hours, perfect. <laughs> exactly, only two whole days of your life. It's not that bad. <laughs> well, With an extra case. day of side quests thrown in. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do the future connected as well, if you have some like masochistic urge to do that, then you have like mm-hmm. 10 other hours to add on to that. So it's really not that much of a commitment. Oh, well, when, when you put it that way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we'll take one more quick little break here, and then we got another indie spotlight for the end of the show. Once again, it's me, Mark, talking. So today it's the Mark, the Mark Kalaroff Show. So get ready for that. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. have our continuing with the Mark Kalaroff hour indie spotlight today Labyrinth City Pierre the Maze Detective a game that Mark's been playing on the switch Mark why don't you give us a little glimpse into this game this is one of the best games I've played all year I don't, I don't even know how oh, wow. <laughs> awesome. it's a it's a really engaging game so Pierre the Maze Detective is part of the Labyrinth City series and it's a picture book series from Japan, but they have it everywhere. It's been localized almost everywhere. You could probably find it at your Barnes and Nobles. You could probably find it on Amazon. But um, it's a picture book. And the goal of the picture book is to find certain objects and make it to the end of the maze. It's a labyrinth. So the whole plot of the game is that Mr. X has stolen the maze stone and it's turned Pierre's world into a bunch of labyrinths since he's sent out by the police to solve all these puzzles. So he goes out with his friend uh, Carmen and they go out 
and just solve each puzzle to find Mr. X. And you meet new characters, and as you go through the puzzles, you sort of find collectibles and secret notes and all that stuff. So when you say you have to... Uh take the the key item to the end of the level are you are you like you have like an inventory you're like putting stuff in no no, no. all the key no all the key items are optional the main goal of the game is to find a way out of the maze it's literally oh i see a point a to b maze like oh okay it's you got to go up down sideways left right like you have to go all over the place to figure out how to get out because there's always obstacles in your way so when they say labyrinth city it's like it's literally, quite literally no, it's a labyrinth find yeah find your way out of the labyrinth yeah 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 okay and it's um, a very, very engaging one. This move, like they took the original book and made everything to it almost like moving. So, and just like the additional music, and they put cutscenes, and it is just so engaging how it looks. Every it feels so alive, which is great. I was just going to ask because from the very concept, it's all about going through mazes, and from what little experience I have with playing through maze levels in games, they aren't really that engaging most of the time. It can be kind of frustrating trying to navigate a maze without knowing where you're going, so mm. what does this game do to kind of take out the frustration of it and make that enjoyable, like you're saying? So, each level has around four to five different characters that you need to find, and the goal is to go from point A to B to C to D to E, and that's it. So it keeps you in check by saying, okay, so first you're going to start by figuring your way out to the right side of the maze. And then you find this character and he tells you, hey, Mr. X, I think I saw him go that way. Since the whole time you're trying to find Mr. X, it's basically like a cat and mouse chase between Pierre and Mr. X. So then he'll be like up the ladder that way. So then you go up the ladder and it's like another sort of puzzle. And then after you get through perhaps like across i don't know like a rooftop or something and then another character you'll meet and he'd be and i'll be like oh i think i saw him go around the corner to the cars and all that so then you chase him that way and that's how it keeps you in check but along each path there's collectibles to find and the the hard part about the game is trying to stay in check with being okay i came in this way i need to go back out onto the trail that way and then there's like all these stuff there's there's a ton of stuff you can interact with, whether it be just comical characters, dialogue, or just picking up an item for your main collection. Okay, so it is a maze, but not like strictly just letting you loose, find your way out. It's guided, and it gives you objectives along the way, and kind of prods yes. you a little bit in the right direction, but it sounds like it still has some elements of discovery in there yes. as well. It definitely does. There's a lot, all the extra items, you can find extra trophies, which are like mini replicas of some of the items in the maze. And then they have other collectibles that are for a shelf that's on the main screen of the game. And sort of the goal of all the collectibles is to fill the entire bookshelf that's on the home screen. And then there is the secret notes, which notes tell you how to get those collectibles if you could find them first. Wait, say what you, say what you just said again. About the notes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, uh, this, so this notes are technically yeah. your first collectible where you're supposed to find them, and it'll give you a little drawing of where a collectible is. So technically you're supposed to find the notes first, but you may find a note like afterwards if you're clever enough. If you're clever enough. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. Because oftentimes you might forget to like click on a bunch of stuff. Since you have to go up to things and to interact with them, you just literally click A if there's a text box, and that's it, and they'll sort of like move around and stuff. There you go. I think it's worth mentioning because we because we haven't talked about it yet. Is uh, both before we start recording this segment, both Campbell and I, oh, and Mark too, for that matter, we're talking about how how beautiful this game looks. It is. Um, it is literally the picture book moving. It's it looks insane. If you've if you've tuned in any of the Nintendo the recent Nintendo directs, this game probably caught your eye. They didn't show it off in any in any great depth, but it, it's popped up in a couple sizzle reels. I think they gave it like a like a thirty second little teaser trailer or something. But in any capacity that they've shown it, it's been like, what is that game? I need to know what it is. Does it? We talked about like frame rate issues and and some of the stuff in the last segment about Monster Hunter Stories too. Is there anything any technical issues you encounter while playing this game, or no. does it look as good Nothing. as it as good as it seems? Looks as good as it plays. It's wow. smooth as butter. Wow. I love that. I'm so I'm so glad. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, technically there's not a lot going on. I mean, you're on set paths, and it's like there's a bunch of objects that move and a lot that doesn't. So, right. you know. Now, I do want to ask a question that comes up 
time and again on this show, and I have to ask you here, how long is this game? Depending on your skill set, it could be two to around five hours, I'd say. Depending on your skill set. So that's like how quickly you go through the mazes and how many secrets you discover then? Yes. So when you start the game, it tells you um, that going from point A to B is not always the solution. I mean, depending on how you interpret it, I see this as a game where you want to go find the collectibles and you want to solve the puzzles. Because if not, you're literally just finding a way out of a maze, if that makes sense, you know? Right. It sounds like kind of an experience that you make of it. Like it says you get as much out of it as you put into it then. Yes, it is. Because you could pro. I'm guessing like if you just beeline it for the end, you could probably beat this game in under an hour. Oh, wow. (laughs) AGDQ next year, Labyrinth City, just (laughs) ripping through it. Yeah, if you want to find all the collectibles, though, you're going to put some time into it. Nice. Uh, Does it feel, like, compelling to to seek out those collectibles and fill out that shelf you were talking about? Yes, because there's a lot going on in this crazy world, and it's like you kind of just want to see what everything's up to. And sometimes there's, like, really funny dialogue, too, which is always nice. I love in the second level... Um, there's a bunch of poodles just like roaming around and they're like, did you see the Bichon freeze, the celebrity? And it's like all this ridiculous nonsense. So it's like, you have just like an actual reason to talk and find the dogs rather than the humans, which is kind of funny. I mean, that's finding the dogs rather than the humans is already my life's mantra. So that sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of doggos in the second level. You've just straight up sold me on this game. If there's yeah. Bichons and Poodles and stuff, are there any Maltese in this or any other? I believe silly so. I think, oh my gosh, I think there was. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's I am. There's a lot of different dogs. Yeah. Campbell's Campbell's wallet just got a lot lighter with the discussion of Monster Hunter Stories Two and this game. <laughs> it really did. I'm just going to be poor by the end of this. Um, <laughs> next, you're gonna sell me on Mario 64 on the sealed cartridge of that, and I'm just gonna be in <laughs> millions of dollars in debt. So. <laughs> worth it. So worth it. So I, I think it, it's probably worth mentioning because. Uh, you mentioned this with this game this week, and I, I feel I'm kind of feeling the same way how I played Boomerang X last week. I feel like a lot of the best games that are coming out this year are are more on the indie side, at least so far. They are. They are. This yeah. game and Chicory a Colorful Tale have been my favorite games to play all year. Yeah, yeah. It's um I think that's really interesting. I I wonder I mean I guess of course part of that of course is, you know, we're still in the midst of the COVID COVID development hell has pushed a lot of stuff back, and a lot of the bigger studios have have suffered because of that. Uh, I just I, th- I think it's great that so many great indie games have been able to to steal the spotlight. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it, I think from from what I know of Labyrinth City, it really speaks to what's so wonderful about indie games because this is the kind of title that you wouldn't see Ubisoft or even Nintendo putting out. Really, just a storybook style title that doesn't have you know ambitious exploration and cutting edge graphics or tons of content or anything like that it's a distinctly quiet creative just something that whoever made this clearly had a passion for and just wanted to see it happen regardless of whatever investors thought of Mm -hmm. it or anything like that really speaks to the creativity that you get from indie games i will say this this game is the best video game book adaptation i have ever seen Oh, that's kind of funny. And it's quite, uh, because it's quite literally a direct adaptation. Like, it's literally a playable picture book. That's really Except you're not drawing all over it and ruining it. It's beautiful to look at. Yeah, because, like, this is the kind of book that best lends itself to a game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That's perfect. Yeah, we've talked many times on this podcast about uh, the, the relations between books and and video games we've had some some people from boss fight books on you know we talked about the kirby manga a few weeks back it's like that's that's awesome that this uh that it kind of falls into that category because i don't know i don't know if you guys grew up with this uh, i spy books where's waldo all that stuff yeah that's what i said in my review i believe i compared i believe i compared it to where's waldo yeah well even as you were describing it it's like yeah it sounds very where's waldo we it sounds um, a in lot. A good way. Yeah, it sounds a lot like those picture books I used to grab from the library when I was a kid. Just tracing yeah. those if pretty grew, pictures. If you grew up with Labyrinth City and you enjoyed the original picture books, got this game. 
it's a no-brainer to buy it's a really especially it has a bumping soundtrack it's, oh, it's really? really great yeah that's surprising really i didn't, I didn't expect to hear that wow what kind of because style it's not like it? uh i mean i'm not a music expert but unlike unlike campbell yeah, unlike campbell i could yes, get the theory course. in there yeah <laughs> but uh it's very like bumpy and like cat and mouse type chasey like it's not like a serious um like chase the maze like no like there are you know like elephants and all this random stuff in the maze there's ninjas there's pirates there's iconic characters from history thrown into the mix solid snake is in the second level he's an easter egg wait what? so it's like what? this is yeah that it's... was one of the cool easter eggs i i think no one will spot it i kind of just tapped on it by accident there was a box and then the exclamation point lit up and he literally ran across oh my gosh I never would have yeah. expected that. That's great. That's ridiculous. I love it. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, listen. I, I we always talk about how we like sell each other on games. Like, I, I feel like we're not very tough sells, to be honest. Like, should, <laughs> should we be? Should we be more? Should we be more critical? Should we be a little more discerning instead of being like, "Wow, that sounds great. I want to get that." Like, <laughs> yeah. I changed my mind. I hate indie games now. I hate like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I hate this game now. Um, this He's beautiful... revoking his indie editor name. I am. I'm going to become the AAA editor because. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's extremely funny. Um, so yeah, it sounds great. Of course, check out Mark's review over on the on the site. Um, lots of great, lots of great indie stuff coming out lately, and this sounds like it fits right into that into that niche. And it does look insanely beautiful. Like if you just glance at some of the screenshots yeah. that are in Mark's review. Um, yeah, it sounds, looks and sounds great, apparently. So make sure you, make sure you check that out. Uh, anything else you want to kind of shout out before we wrap it up here? I think we've, I think we've done a, done a podcast. Please buy Labyrinth City and follow them on Twitter because they want to know if you want more. And the answer should be yes. If you don't, yeah. I'll find you. <laughs> Terrifying. Once again, ending it on a threat. I think it's great. Violence, baby. <laughs> we start with capitalism, we end with violence. It's just, this says a lot about society. It says a lot about video games? I don't know. Uh, um, you gotta love gamers. So, with that, I guess that's... <laughs> should we Should we end with something else? I don't know, maybe. Um, I've been your host, Cameron Dax, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, my most recent stuff's up on, on Goomba Stomp. I wrote a little review for a game called Where the Heart Leads, which is a PlayStation exclusive, but I enjoyed it a lot. And then, of course, on the Nintendo side, check out Boomerang X. So I, I reviewed that game, uh, the Indie Spotlight, last episode. You can find me on Twitter. I'm over at, at @actiondaxon. That's Daxon with an X. Mark, what about yourself? You can find me at the Markel. That, of course, is Mark with a C, Cal with a K. And on Goomba Stomp, currently, I have finally completed a ranking for every single episode ever of The Legend of Korra, so you can find Ooh. my entire ranking for that. You can find my review for Monster Hunter Stories soon. I don't know if it'll be up by the time this um, podcast episode is up, but I just want to put a little bit more time into it, just in case. But you can find a tips guide that I wrote about six tips that you should probably know before playing, and then I also, of course, have a review for Labyrinth City. Perfect. And uh, Campbell, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at CampbellSGill, uppercase CSG, and you can find me on LinkedIn at Campbell Gill. If you're boring and just want to get a, pro a professional connection, we can exchange some networking tips, all that kind of stuff, exciting indie game stuff. And of course, if you want to read my games writing, you can find me on GoombaStomp.com. Uh, I've got some cool stuff coming out in the next week or so, so keep an eye out for that. Nothing new to plug as of now, but stay tuned. Incredible. Uh, as usual... We are at NXpress. We are on Twitter. We are at NXpress Nintendo. And we're on YouTube as well, the NXpress Nintendo podcast. We could probably use some more five-star reviews. I think we're a five-star podcast, personally. That's just me. We could so also sure use you, one uh, other thing, Cameron. Oh, please. More yes, writers. I think we are still looking, we are currently still looking hiring. for Nintendo yes. writers. That's correct. So if you, if if you, you love want Nintendo to join games, the team, you want to join the team over at Goomba Stomp, you want to play, you want to get video games for free, which honestly has changed my life i don't know about you guys uh if you want to play and review <laughs> games we are looking for writers um over on the website so of course you can do the email but i believe it is video games editor goombastomp.com is that correct yes or you could do editor at goombastomp.com either one okay works. great so editor at goombastomp.com or video games editor at goombastomp.com just uh how, how do you want what's the structure of that mark you just put you put it in the subject line you put some writing samples in how do, how do you want to do that 
Yeah, just literally put that, you know, interview, I guess, as the subject line, and then introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what your tasting games are, maybe. Put in some of your work, send it over, we'll take a look. Incredible. Uh, yeah, that's. please do that, because we always we want more guests for the podcast. That's what it comes down to. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>